0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Um, I'm really excited today uh, to welcome Steve Carter. Steve Carter is a teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. He's the author of this book, This Invitational Life. And, and what I love about this book is it goes to the heart of who we are. It's one of our core values around here. We believe that God has called us to live um, in redemptive relationships, which simply is this, to live with an awareness that God is at work in everybody's life, in the life of the people in your life. And if you can just be aware of what God might be doing in that person's life and be a part of helping draw them closer to him, that's what a redemptive relationship is all about. And that's what this invitational life is all about. And when I saw just the title of the book, I said, okay, we have got to do this. So for eight weeks, we are going through this book together. If you have not purchased it yet, I encourage you to stop by the table out there. Um, like I said in the video announcement, if we we're selling them um, at below our cost, but we want people to get into this book. It is life-changing for your relationships, and we encourage you uh, to pick that up. And of course, with that, we were very blessed to have with us the author, um, Steve Carter. So when he comes out, would you just give him a warm Northgate welcome when he comes, all right? So good, so good to be here
1: uh, with you. I begin with a question. What if Edward Kimball said no? You're sitting here wondering who's Edward Kimball. He was a Sunday school teacher. About 7th through 12th grade students, 7 of them. Poor man. And one day he's going to bed, he hears this prompting, this whisper from God to go to one of his students' workplace and actually share with him the message of grace and good news. And he's like, this can't be God. God. But he wakes up the next morning and he takes that risk, that step of faith, and he begins to walk downtown. And he, the whole time he's walking, he's wondering, was it bad pizza last night? What was that voice? And what am I really going to say? He walks up some stairs, opens up a door, and he sees this student stalking shelves. And he walks right up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder, and he begins to tell about God's ferocious love for this student. God sent his son, how grace and peace and freedom are available through Christ, and how he could be set free today, right now, and he basically says, would you say yes to this invitation? Crickets. (laughs) The student doesn't say a word, and so he's like, awkward, and he just begins to move the hand, and he just walks out. Now, unbeknownst to Edward Kimball, when this student gets off, he walks out of his job, walks to those stairs, sits down, and surrenders his life to Christ. That student's name was D.L. Moody, who became one of the greatest living preachers in American history. Chicago, where I live, there's a Moody Bible Institute, there's Moody Publishing, Moody Radio, Moody everything, all because Edward Kimball said yes. And my question is, what if Edward Kimball said no? I have a person who's a part of our church, his name's Jose, he's a, he's a car salesman, don't hold that against him, but uh, they were coming to the end of the month, and if they sold 11 cars in one day, they would break every dealership record, so well, the general manager calls all the people down front and says, okay, here's the deal, salesman, I need you to sell two, and when he basically points at one of the salesmen to say, you got two, Jose, my friend standing right over here, here's this whisper. Tell your general manager you'll sell four. He'd never sold four cars in one day ever before. And here's this whisper and this prompting, say, tell him you'll sell four. And if you sell four, he's got to choose one of the Christmas Eve services to come with you to. So he goes around, general manager, two and two and one. He gets to Jose, and Jose's like, I'll sell four. He goes, I'll sell four if you come to one of my Christmas Eve services at our church. And he goes, if you sell four, I'll do whatever you want. And so Jose leaves that meeting, gets on the horn, and by noon, he sold two cars. He goes in a five-hour, 45-minute drought, and at 5.45, he sells his next car. Now he's hoping, he's praying, he's begging God. 6.30, he's only sold three cars. 6.40, only three cars. 6.45, only three cars. 6.52, a guy walks in. Eight minutes before the dealership closes. And the guy says, hey, is there a Jose around here? And Jose's like, I'm Jose. Hey, uh, my friend bought a car from you three years ago. And my car just broke down today. I called him venting. And he said, just go see Jose. Jose will sell you a car. And that moment, he sells another Sentra, and he hits four cars. <clears throat> Someone's got a little Sentra love over there. I love that. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he, he, he ends up texting his general manager, and he goes, four cars sold. Which Christmas Eve service are you going to? Crickets. The next day, Jose shows up to work. He's doing some work in cubicle land, and he gets called into his boss's office. He sits down, and his boss pulls out his checkbook and goes, Hey, well done selling four cars. How much do you want your bonus to be? Now, right now, he's got this kind of invitation to take cash or to hold to his conviction of hearing this whisper and making this deal. And so he says, Hey, we had a deal. You said you would go to one of my services if I sold four cars And the general manager like slams his hands on the desk and he's like, I'm not going to one of your services, gets up and walks out of his own office. And so Jose's like, what do I do here? And he just sits here and he's like, did I mess this up? I do this wrong. I thought I was being faithful. You ever had one of those moments? You feel like you're engaging in a good spiritual conversation and as you begin to engage in it, it's not going the way you suspect or expected it to go. And you're like, I'm messing this up. And then all of a sudden, the general manager walks back in and goes, Jose, I'm sorry. You are right. We did have a deal, but here's my deal back to you. If I have to go to one of your church services, then all of these jokers outside have to come with me. So on December 21st, 2015, 131 staff and their families from a local Nissan dealership showed up to Willow Creek's Christmas Eve yeah. services. Yeah. And, and I just sit here and I go, you know, what if Edward Kibble said no? What if Jose said no? Just last week, I was in Barnes & Noble with my two interns. We're looking at books to purchase, and this 19-year-old intern sees this woman looking through the grieving section and something comes over him to basically walk up to her and go, hey, uh, do you need help? He doesn't even work at Barnes & Noble, but he just sees her looking, go, hey, are you looking for anything? Do you need help? And she's like, "Ah, I do. I'm trying to find a book to help someone grieve well. And then brilliantly, he just simply goes, well, what are you grieving? And in the middle of Barnes & Noble, this woman shares about losing her 22-year-old son. And I'm sitting on the next aisle looking at books, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I can hear tears. And I walk over, and here's one of my interns, and then the other intern comes over, and he's got his hand on this woman's shoulder and he begins just to talk with her, comfort her, counsel her. And then in the moment, she just kind of looks at us and goes, would you just pray for me? And I, I, I never seen myself as a pastor for Barnes and Noble, but it was like one of the most holy, sacred grounds ever. And I just started thinking like, what if my intern would have said no? What if my intern would have said No. Recently, someone asked me, hey, who is your favorite hero in all of the scriptures? And you can't say Jesus, say somebody else. And so I said, uh, it's, it's Ananias. This guy is only mentioned 11 times in scripture. But you know, i will to be honest, he, he reminds me of us. Just a guy who's trying to figure it out. He's not perfect, he's messy, he's trying to be a good husband, have a good family, he's trying to chase after Jesus, and yet has this moment where God just Invites him into something quite profound and beautiful. You have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 10. And I want you to see because Ananias, I think, changes the trajectory of the New Testament. In verse 10, it says this In Damascus, which is 150 miles from Jerusalem, there was a disciple. A disciple in Hebrews, the word Talmudim, it means a student, someone who has desire and devotion. And this disciple's name is Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Look at his answer. Yes, Lord, he answered. Uh, I believe that God can do anything. I believe he's all powerful. But you know what I also believe? Is that God finds great joy in unleashing you and I to partake in his redemptive story. God sees all of these moments filled with redemptive potential and what he loves to do is go, can you help me? And can you help me? And can you help me? Whether you're at Starbucks and hey, can you help me with this barista? Or you're here having in the marketplace, can you help me with your, your coworker? Hey, can you help me here? And he gives us these opportunities and all he longs for us to say is yes. Can I tell you the truth? The supernatural starts With yes. If you want to experience the supernatural activity of God, then say yes. And every time God whispers, prompts, gives you an invitation, an opportunity, when you say yes, it begins to allow the redemptive process to take place. But think about it. What happens if God whispers to you and He gives you this opportunity and you say no? And He goes to somebody else, He goes, No, 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 you, you, you say no. And then you say no, and you say no, you say no. And what does that do to our cities, our churches, the kingdom, and eternity? All of them lose every time we say no to a whisper and prompting of God. But what happens when we say yes? Something changes. Our cities change. Our churches change. Our kingdom, the kingdom of God changes. Eternity gets widened, more people, all because we heard something and said yes. Verse 11, the Lord told him, after he says yes, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And so God gets a little bit specific. I want you to go to this house, Judas's, is, and on Straight Street, downtown Damascus. There's a man by the name of Judas, but, but ask, for, ask for this guy. I don't know if you've ever had those kinds of moments where God has given you an impression or a whisper, and it has some sense of specificity to it. I remember being in Burundi, Bujumbura, the, the capital, and we were working on some nonprofit kind of micro-enterprise loans. We had raised some money, and we wanted to take this money through and have, like, government clearance to get this money to specific women to create these micro-businesses so that they could support their family. And really bless their villages. But we were having a hard time getting the clearance from the government. And we're in this meeting. And there's no good ideas. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those kinds of meetings. And you're just waiting for someone to call it and say, hey, this isn't going anywhere. Just go do other work. Well, this great leader goes, hey, none of you have had a good idea. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the afternoon off. And I want you to come back to dinner. And I want you to bring one great idea. So we get up. Begin began walking back to the hotel. Some of my friends say they're going to take a nap. I, I decided to get out my journal, and as I'm starting to write in my journal, I hear one of these whispers, these promptings. Go take a run in downtown Bujambora. So I put on my Duke basketball shorts, and I start to run. I, I haven't been to, to Bujumbura before. I really don't know where I'm going, so I'm just running I'm passing UN vehicles and I find myself kind of going to like the epicenter of the downtown and there's 500 people and they're standing around a basketball court. I run up to this game and I just start to watch it and after a few minutes someone walks up to me and pokes me and he, he looks at me and goes, you good? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, just watching the game. He goes, no, 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 Are you good in basketball? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. He goes, no, no, if I choose you, do we win? And, and I, I'll be honest. I wasn't like very humble in this moment because I'd watched these guys play, and I was like, "If you choose me, we, we will win." And uh, so, this guy looks over and goes, "You? You out? You in?" And I kid you not, for the next hour and forty-five minutes, we go six and zero. Oh, and after winning, they come out with this bag of cash. I didn't know I had joined like the MBBA, the National Burundi Basketball Association. And like the next, after it's done, the guy goes, "Tomorrow." Championship game. I need you here. And I'm like, well, I'd like to, but we got these meetings. You know, trying to do some stuff, you know, for, the, for Bujambora. And he's like, what kind of meetings? I was like, well, you know, these microfinance loans, trying to get them to women. Like... And he goes, well, well, tell whoever your meetings are, I run this town. I was like, wait, wait, what's your name? And when he says his name, I'm like, I've been trying to get a hold of you for three months. You don't ever check your email, and so all of a sudden he goes, "Hey, if we win tomorrow, I have a meeting with your people." Now, he gives me his card. Have you ever gone back to a meeting, <laughs> and you've got the answer, and then you're gonna have to sit and listen to all these other people's ideas? You know. He's like, "So, uh, over dinner, what do you what do you think we should do?" I think we should email. Yeah, that's a good idea. No, no, no. Okay, what about you? We should, uh, you know, we should show up early when they're showing up to their office. Maybe we can stop them and have a conversation. I'm like, that's a dumb idea. Okay, uh, what's your, and we go around, and finally they go, Carter, what's your idea? And I'm like, we're going to play basketball, because God loves the game of basketball. <laughs> God is for basketball. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, hey, we want 6-0. and Tomorrow's the championship game, and if we win, this guy says he will meet with us. The guy who controls the city. And so in this moment, the next day we went and we set up this meeting and like it's incredible. I tell you this story simply because of this. Sometimes we hear these kinds of stories and God whispers and all he's doing is asking us to take a step of faith and we don't have any idea where it's going to lead. But by just taking a step, by risking, by trusting, by having that faith, something begins to stir. And God does something that you could not even fathom, make up, or imagine, all because you said yes. And so God tells Ananias, I need you to go to this place, go downtown, to Judas' house, there's a guy there. And sometimes when you start to hear those kinds of whispers, if you've ever experienced this, there's this joy to say yes, but then, but then the excuses come, don't they? And Ananias, just like me, Starts making excuses. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Basically, Ananias is like, hey, God, have you been watching CNN? Do you know who Saul of Tarsus really is? To be honest, he was a first century terrorist. Truly. Truly. Damascus is 150 miles from Jerusalem, and Saul has been hearing about these stirrings, this move of God through the way of Jesus, and he has been trying to take it and end it He's killed people, he's beaten people, he's imprisoned people, he's interrogated people, he's intimidated people, and he goes to the chief priest in Jerusalem and goes, hey, I hear that there's something stirring over here. Give me the authority, and I will take care of it. I will end it. And Ananias is like, hey, God, um, that dude, he's a bad guy. Like, he's, he's got bad motives. So if you want me to go there and put my life On the line, um, this is a little bit scary. I don't know. Maybe for you, when you have those conversations and you hear those whispers and and you start having that about talking or inviting someone to your house or into your story or into your church, someone that you work with or someone in your neighborhood, and you're like, all of that fear starts to come. And you start making excuses to God. You start just kind of pushing it away. And I really think the invitation and the question that we have to wrestle with, are we going to be people whose lives are defined by making excuses or making moves towards God? Now, uh, there's this guy by the name of Tony Campolo, and I heard him speak a few years back. And when I hear people speak, I love just to go up to him and kind of ask him questions like, tell me a little bit about your faith story. And he begins to tell about how he came to faith because I got another story for you. I was about ready to go speak at this, this Pentecostal college, and I'm going up to speak, and about a few minutes before I take the stage, the, the board comes up and says, hey, get on your knees. We want to pray for you. A big, heavy, bald guy, Tony, he gets on his knees, and they start laying hands, and they start praying, and it's pretty intense. God, speak through Tony. Give him an anointing, fresh anointing, and then another guy starts to pray, hand on his dome, starts to say, God, we pray for Charlie. And Tony's like, my name's Charlie. My name's Tony, not Charlie. And all of a sudden, this guy's like, no, God, we pray for Charlie. Charlie Stolfus, who lives in a gray mobile home. Right now, he's got three kids and a wife, and he's about ready to walk out on his wife. And God, we pray. We pray for an intervention. And Tony's like, I'm about to teach. Who is Charlie? What in the world? I get done with the prayer. He gets up, He teaches. It goes well. He gets in his car, and He's driving. And off in the distance, he sees a guy with his thumb out hitchhiking. Here's this whisper, pull over. Pulls over, rolls down the window and goes, hey, uh, where are you headed? And the guy outside goes, anywhere, just take me far from here. And Tony goes, oh, I'm headed to the airport. He's like, that'll do. I'll figure it out from there. They get in the car, they're making small talk. And then Tony goes, hey, what's your name? And the guy goes, I'm Charlie. Charlie what? <laughs> Charlie Stolfis. And at this moment, Tony locks the door (laughs) and begins to whip a U-turn. And the guy's like, what what are you doing? He goes, you're Charlie Stolfus. You live in a gray mobile home. You're married and you have three kids. And you just walked out on your wife. And all of a sudden, this guy's like, who are you? And Tony's like... I am a man of God. Lead me back to that gray mobile home because I have a word for you, your wife, and your three kids. Now, you talk about a walk of shame. You just walked out, and now, like, 15 minutes later, you're crying, walking back. Oh, I'm got oh, to come out on, like, the porch, or, you know, and all of a sudden, Tony speaks into the lives of this family, and all five of them give their life to Christ. And so there's this moment where you're like, what in the world? See, sometimes, here's the thing, we zoom so much into a moment that we can't see what God is really up to. There's no focus. There's no way God could redeem this person. There's no way God could redeem this story. There's no way God could actually move through me. There's no way. We make excuses. And friends, if you don't hear anything else from me, I just need you to know, our God wants to use You. You, you. You, 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 every one of us, our God believes that you can be a massive player in his kingdom. And so what you begin to see is actually God saying to Ananias, after hearing these excuses, look what he says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Amazing. Amazing. Ananias so focused Like do you understand who Saul of Tarsus is Focused on the past Focused on the present And God is like Massive Google Earth Zooming out and says Do you understand who Saul will become Do you see That he is going to be my chosen instrument And he's going to take this message This good news And he's going to take it to the kings And to all over the world But he needs you to go I need you to go. You don't see the full picture, but I need you to trust me. And so Ananias, the scriptures say, went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias, from this moment, gets up and goes, I'm going to find Judas's house. And I don't know what you're going to do, God, but I'm trusting you. And he knocks on the door, and Judas opens up, and he goes, hey, I'm here to see Saul. And Judas says he's in the back room. Now Saul, and he was a prideful, powerful man. And he's making this march from Jerusalem to Damascus when he sees Jesus. And in this vision, Jesus basically says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And Saul gets blinded, and he falls to the ground, and soldiers have to pick him up and basically lead him to Judas' house. And he hears that there is a man that's going to come visit him. But for three days, he's in a room, and he hasn't eaten, he hasn't drank any water, I imagine him in the fetal position replaying the tape. You know what that's like? Replaying the past over and over and over again. I think he thinks about the people he killed. I think he thinks about the people he beat, the people that he imprisoned. I think about how could I have gotten this all wrong? And he's hoping and wondering, why would anyone come to me? Why would anyone show up for me? Why would anyone... Want a relationship with me? Why would anyone want to risk on my behalf? Why? And I knock on the door three days later. And Ananias walks through that door. And the scriptures say that he places his hand on Saul's shoulder. And he looks at this man that Ananias would have known that had killed some of his friends. And he says, Brother Saul, who's the person you have a hard time thinking that they could be a brother of yours? in Christ, and he just walks up. Brother soul, and God's spirit begins to move, and the scriptures say, man, it's like the scales come off his eyes. He's able to see. He eats again, gets his strength, and he goes, and he gets baptized, and you know what, friends? The scriptures are never the same. Saul becomes Paul, and he writes 13 books in the New Testament. He changes the landscape and the trajectory of faith Books like Romans, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, all written because Ananias said yes. A few years ago, I was in Hawaii. It was our 10-year anniversary. I'd never been before. My wife and I had saved up for a while. We ended up staying in this condo. It was right on the point of this cove. And you had to enter the water. You had to go through three other condo associations the cove was pretty great because, you know, in certain parts of the day when there was a low tide, you could just stand in the water, have kind of like the snorkel goggles on, and you could look down and you could see the turtles and the fish. You could look out and you could see the whales breaching. But every few hours, there would be a sea change. The tide would turn. It would get high tide and six-foot waves would come barreling in. And it would be head over, a couple of feet overhead. You just be standing, trying to swim and tread. I remember I'm out on the kind of porch, and we're grilling out, and we're waiting for the sun to set, watching whales breach. When there was the sea change, the six footers become barreling in, and I hear a woman scream, "Help!" And I look down, and I can see her just getting pummeled by a wave, and coming out, and just flailing with her arms. And something comes over me, "Just run." And I run, I jump over a fence in another condo association, run to the next fence, jump over that, run to the next fence, and I'm thinking about my friends who were lifeguards in Newport Beach. And they would gather the lifeguards together and they would simply just say, Not on our watch not on our watch, and as I'm running to like the water, it's like total Baywatch moment, and I'm like running, and like I jump in the water, and I start swimming as fast as I can, I'm like thinking, not on my watch, not on my watch, not on my watch, I finally get to this woman, and I end up putting her on my back, and I start swimming back, and I get to the point where I actually can stand, and I'm carrying her, and as I'm carrying her, and I put her down, it gets really real, because her five-year-old son, her 12-year-old daughter begins coming in, and they're weeping, and their mom's not moving. And in this moment, I'm just praying, like, God, please, please, please. And she ends up breathing. And she ends up sitting up, and everything's fine. And as I start to walk, people kind of see me, and they're like, yeah, good job. I'm feeling good about myself. Yeah, it's great. Until I look up at the cove. I see where I had ran. I'm looking up, and there's between 40 to 50 people standing on the cove arms folded, just watching. And as in this moment, God just simply impressed upon my heart how often, Steve, are you one of those people? You ran in and saved a woman that you don't even know her name, and yet in your town, in your neighborhood, in your life, you know that there are marriages of your friends that are drowning. There are people who are sinking in debt, people who are having waves of shame crash over them because of addiction and their past, people who are just treading their faith, begging for help. And how often are you one of those people who are just standing there going, watching, watching? And as I started walking back, I I honestly just started breaking down with tears going, what in the world? how have I missed this? How did I become so comfortable with just receiving a talk or just studying on my own when I was just watching people drown? Why why can't I hear the whispers of God? Why do I always make all these excuses? And God reminded me, reminded me that when I was in seventh grade, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I have no business really being a a pastor, like if you think of my story. For Easter, we used to go to the horse track. It was awesome. When I was in seventh grade, two juniors in high school, their names were Dominic and Nathan, and they went by the name Dominate, which is just awesome. And Dominic and Nathan, one time we got done playing basketball, and they never talked to me before. They were like these good, fun, just amazing guys. I, I looked up to them. They were honestly the first Christians I had ever seen. And Dominic walked up to me one day and he just said, Hey, Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life? And to be honest, it's still the greatest question anyone has ever asked me. And for the next six, seven, eight months, these two picked me up, took me out to In N Out, took me to shoot hoops. And they began telling me about the way of Jesus. And it radically transformed my life. And as a senior in high school, I got to baptize my mom. As a sophomore in college, I got to baptize my dad. And just because these two juniors decided to take a risk on a seventh grader and changed my trajectory and changed my family's trajectory, all because they said yes. I just be honest. I don't know where you are in your faith journey today, but I wonder how many of you are just standing with your arms folded. That's going to get coffee, going to get food, walking to your office, walking into the grocery store, going from one thing to the next busy and busy and going and doing. And yet deep down in your core, you know that it's not a satisfied, fulfilling life. You know that there's gotta be more. And yet in your life, there's these people and these stories and these people that you know that are just sinking and drowning and hurting and broken. And yet how many of us are just sitting like this? And you know what? God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to whisper to you and just invite you to go up and say, hey, can you just come over to my house? I'd love to hear more of your story. Maybe to invite them to church. Hey, you want to just come and just sit and hear a message? This place has done something in my life. Maybe it's to invite them to kind of hear your story. Can I just tell you the brokenness and what God has done in me? But I kid you not, There's something powerful that happens when you actually begin to make your life available to God and you believe that God wants to use you and when he whispers, you say yes. So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love just to close by leading you in a time of response. And maybe for you, if you're like me, sometimes you just need your body to kind of like lead your heart, but maybe you gotta open up your hands and just bow your head. And what I really wanna ask you is a bit of a challenge. And and real decision point is, do you believe that God wants to use you? You really have to wrestle with that. And maybe the challenge just simply is that you have to offer up to God, God, if you whisper to me this week, I will say yes. Maybe in your own way, God, if you whisper, if you speak, if you prompt, I will say yes. I will take that step of faith. You know what God's really good at? He's good at giving you names. He's good at giving you faces. He's good at giving you places. God is good at whispering because he believes in you more than you actually believe in yourself. And God will begin to flood your heart, your mind with names. Family members, co workers, neighbors, other students, people in your life, the baristas and waiters and waitresses, the people that you know on the fringe, God will say, I'm going to use you in their life. If you can have these names, what if this week you could just begin to pray and maybe say, Hey, God, how do I invite them into what you want, into what you desire? Maybe it's here at the church, maybe it's around your table. Maybe it's to hear their story or for them to hear your story. But say yes. And maybe some of you here, you've never said yes to God. Maybe you came here and someone dragged you in. You're like, I don't even know about this whole church thing. And maybe you come in with baggage today, but I just want to tell you this. This is what's true about God. God is good, and God wants to use you, and God believes in you, and God created you in his image, and you have characteristics that model what he is all about, and he wants to activate that for his glory, and God sent his son to set you free. All the things that hold your life in check, all the things that kind of suffocate you, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the past, all of that broken, God sent his son to set you free. And maybe you're here today and you go, you know what, I believe there has to be more. And so right now, in every service this weekend, there's been people who have just raised their hand. Maybe today you're just saying, I just want to say yes to that. I want to say yes to grace and I want to say yes to peace and I want to say yes to a new start with Christ. And if that's you, I just love for you to raise your hand. i love just to pray for you. Wow. Wow.
0: That's
1: beautiful. Wow. And so God, we just pray right now. I pray for those hands that just went up. These decisions that were just made to say yes to you, God. I pray that you would set them free. Whatever is just holding their life in check, may it just crumble at the feet of the cross. And like Jesse when he sang that song where the spirit of the Lord is, we are free. May they be free. And God, I pray that you would rise up risk-takers in Northgate, people who hear long, desire your voice. And God, when you whisper, may they say yes. Give them names. Give them faces. Give them places. And God, I pray this city is transformed because a group of people were so dependent and trusted you that they would go wherever, whenever, however for your glory. We love you, God. Amen.